This podcast is not meant to be professional advice of any kind. It's meant to be informative and entertaining. If you make any changes to your life, see the appropriate professional before you do so. Welcome to Super Age. My name is David Stewart. I am the founder of Ageist and your host on the Super Age show. We talk about how to live healthier, how to live longer, and how to be happier. And who doesn't want that? Today's show is brought to you by Inside Tracker, the dashboard to your inner health. Go to insidetracker.com slash ages, save 20% on all their products. Today's show is also brought to you by Element, L-M-N-T, my favorite electrolyte mix. It's what I put in my water in the morning, and it's what I put in my water at the gym. Go to drinkelement.com slash ages and receive a free eight-serving sample pack with any purchase. Today's show is also brought to you by Timeline Nutrition with their breakthrough product, MitoPure, the first clinically tested urolithin A supplement, which is showing tremendous results for mitochondrial health. Go to TimelineNutrition.com slash Ageist, use the code Ageist at checkout, and save 10% off your first order of MitoPure. Welcome to episode 127 of the Super Age Podcast. This is going to be dropping on March 29th, 2023. Today on the show, I'm very happy to say we've got Dr. Suzanne Gilbert Lenz. She's an OBGYN practicing in Beverly Hills, California. And we're going to talk about some of the stuff that, you know, maybe isn't really talked about out there, which is HRT and what do you do if you've been diagnosed with early stage breast cancer? What's the word on that? So there's a lot of stuff to unpack there. There are not many people that want to talk about this, I got to tell you, um, but Dr. Suzanne was willing to have this discussion with us. So I'm really excited to bring that to you, and we're going to get to her in just a moment. So uh, back here in Park City, Utah, I cannot believe this. It's snowing again. I mean, this is spring, <laughs> last I heard, and uh, I don't know, over in one of the the canyons near here they, they've got 720 inches of snow if you can imagine what that looks like uh, so it's really quite something uh, and it's really it's so spectacular we had greg mcpherson who's the ceo of srw was in salt lake city last week and i said hey greg you want to go see some big snow <laughs> so he's from new zealand and we we went up little cottonwood canyon and we saw like once in a lifetime levels of snow. Like it hasn't snowed like this since uh, I'm thinking 1980. And um, Greg was suitably impressed, <laughs> to say the least. And on the topic of snow, my master's ski racing class um, sadly ended on Friday. And oh my gosh, what can I say? Um, wonderful experience, very humbling very humbling. I think if I was age 10, I'd be picking up this um, this skill set a lot faster than I did. And, you know, <laughs> I got a lot of knowledge, but knowledge is not the same as skill. <laughs> Just because I know what I should be doing doesn't mean I can actually do it. So there's a lot of room for improvement there. But one of the wonderful things that I found was the the coaches, there are five coaches. And, you know, the impact of a teacher is really goes beyond the sort of skills and the knowledge that they impart to us. They're they're giving us something else. They're giving us confidence. They're letting us know they got our back and that we can do stuff. And that's, you know, we talk a lot about 
the impact of teachers on younger people, which is definitely true, but it also impacts us at any age. And so I'm, I'm a big fan of teachers, and I'm also a big fan of joining groups. I'm not a natural group joiner, but it is one of the things that I've learned as I've gotten older is the value of saying yes. Because if we don't say yes, everything's going to stay the same, and we know exactly what that's going to be like. But if we say yes, hey, maybe we meet a new group of people, and who knows what they're going to be like. And the people in my master's ski racing class, the majority of them are much better ski racers than I am and I will ever be, but they welcomed me with open arms, um, very supportive and super interesting people. Like, I mean, who takes up ski racing, right? (laughs) It takes a particular kind of person who wants to do that. So it was a great experience. And, you know, fingers crossed I can do it again next year. The first sponsor of today's show is Timeline Nutrition with their breakthrough product, MitoPure. We all know how important mitochondrial energy is, and especially maintaining muscle and strength as we age. Urolithin A, which is found in MitoPure, has been clinically proven to increase muscle strength and endurance with no other changes in lifestyle. Urolithin A is essentially upgrading your body's cellular power grid, giving your body the energy it needs to optimize. I've been using MitoPure for a few months now, and what I can tell you is there is a noticeable change in the way my muscles re-energize after I use them. What that means is, say I'm involved in some intense activity in the gym or maybe some sporting activity. Normally, the next time I did it, my I would be you know kind of tired. I, I would be sort of gassed out. That doesn't seem to happen with this. Um, and all I can imagine is because my mitochondrial grid has essentially been upgraded. It's not just my muscles that are getting upgraded. It's all the other cells in my body because they're all powered by mitochondria. Go to TimelineNutrition.com slash Ageist. Use the code Ageist at checkout and save 10% off your first order of MitoPure. The second sponsor of today's show is Element, spelled L-M-N-T. Element is an electrolyte drink that contains the exact ratios of the electrolytes sodium, magnesium, and potassium to optimize our cellular functioning for mental and physical performance. Most of us understand that, you know, we need to stay hydrated. But what a lot of people don't realize is just pounding water isn't going to cut it. In order for our cells to function properly, they need sodium, potassium, and magnesium in the right doses. Element has perfected the balance. Now, of course, people with prehypertension or hypertension need to be careful about their sodium intake. But for most of us who are mindful about eating clean, unprocessed food, most of the time, we may not be getting enough sodium, potassium, or magnesium. That's why I drink a packet of Element each day. If you'd like to try Element, go to drinkelement.com slash ageist, that's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T dot com slash ageist, and receive a free eight-serving sample pack with any purchase. Let me know what your favorite flavor is. I'm, I'm into citrus salt. What's yours? Speaking of hydration, I just recently read that the great Dr. Peter Atia actually recently passed out getting off an airplane because he, guess what, was dehydrated. He forgot to drink water and get enough electrolytes. So if that happens to Peter Atia, um, it can happen to anybody. We're going to get with Dr. 
Suzanne Gilbert-Lenz in just a second. Just a quick reminder, though, at, after the conversation, we're going to do that segment that we do every week, which is called Just Try This. And it's going to be just a little fortune cookie suggestion to maybe help you live a little healthier, a little longer. Let's give Dr. Suzanne Gilbert-Lenz a call right now. Hey, Dr. Suzanne, how are you today? Hello. I'm very well. It's nice to talk to you. It's wonderful to speak with you. Um, I guess we should start with, um, tell everybody a little bit about yourself and what your practice is and what your interests are. Yeah, yeah. Where to start? Okay, so I am a board-certified OBGYN. I have been in practice in Beverly Hills, California for 22 years, which kind of blows me away. I'm also board certified in uh, integrative and holistic medicine. So I have, uh, I mean, and how I went, got into that actually was that I trained in Ayurveda very early in my career. I got very interested. I was doing yoga and meditation for my own purposes, which of course, you know, ended up influencing my entire career in life um, and got interested. I had always been interested in indigenous and traditional holistic medicine and ended up studying Ayurveda which is the ancient traditional holistic medicine of the subcontinent of India. And um, really just did it for my own curiosity, but it led to made down a lot of other paths, which has been very, very interesting. And that led me to integrative holistic. I practice in a completely conventional uh, practice in Beverly Hills. I have a reputation at this point for having sort of a deeper and a wider toolkit and uh, uh, openness. But I think that sort of set the stage for, for what I was doing in my own life personally and professionally. And um you know, I've, I've tended to be interested in whatever's in front of me. So as my patients presented problems that I hadn't learned about, I dug into them. Um, and that became cancer survivorship gynecology that became menopause. That actually is what led me to menopause, which has been my focus in the last decade or so. Um, sexual health, a lot of like third rail topics that nobody else seemed to want to talk about, which of course everybody's talking about now. <laughs> but a botanical medicine, all that. So that that's kind of the, where I am. I, out of that started seeing the need for more opportunities to educate and empower women specifically around menopause and their aging process and didn't have enough time to really do that in a 10 to, you know, 15 minute insurance-based encounter in the office. And was at this time also doing a lot of education and public speaking anyways, and developed something called Menopause Boot Camp, which was a live experience, two to four hours, depending on how and where we did it, where we had more time to really delve into the terminology, the definitions, which confuse people to this day, the actionable items, the problems and solutions from a deeper and a wider toolkit, because I have conventional medicine and I believe in it and science, but also I have traditional practices. And this is not a disease, Dave. This is a state of being alive. So you have options, you know, in terms of how you want to live and age well, whatever that means to you. Um, fitness, huge part of it. Mindset. I thought people were coming for facts and information. We all left with community. Hugely important. Don't know why that surprised me, but it did initially. And that grew into a book. And so I wrote wrote this book and then it got purchased by the publisher during the pandemic and we came out of the pandemic and everybody was talking about menopause. <laughs> and here no- we are. Yeah, I've noticed that. Um so let's let's um talk about that for a second. So 
there's there seems to be and um there seems to be a lot more of i mean it used to be 20 years ago you couldn't even use that word um and there seems to be a lot of interest in menopause and a lot of products that allegedly have some impact on menopause systems uh, symptoms and i what what's your thought on all that you know i'm kind of of the mind that the more we're talking about it the better it is i'm aware that i have colleagues who don't agree with that. They, I mean, I think they they want it to be discussed and they want people to have tools and they want people to have information and for it to be normalized and not, you know, stigmatized. But I I know there are some people who object deeply to sort of the menopause marketplace, right? Hmm. And I, I understand where they're coming from, but I have a little bit of a different idea about that. I, I first of all feel like, look, we are living in a capitalist society for better or worse. And so to think that there isn't going to be monetization of this is just, I don't know what planet you live on. That's not how this works. Second of all, one of the things that I talk a lot about, just I've experienced personally and that I talk a lot about in my work around menopause is that, you know, one of the beautiful things and one of the beautiful gifts of this is like really developing a stronger sense of who you are, um, really connecting with your own agency um, and your wisdom. And honestly, if you get to this point and you feel a lack of confidence about how to manage all the information coming at you, I think that that is totally legit and real, but I think we're grownups and we can sort of assess information. And I think as long as there are resources out there and these are starting to be developed in a more legit way, then we can make decisions that make sense for us. There are a lot of predatory practitioners and practices out there of all stripes. And they're not just aimed at menopausal women. They're aimed at all of us because this is how we roll, apparently, in this country. <laughs> and I just I, I think to infantilize us is not where I'm coming from. I, I think we're mm. smarter and better than that. Mm. And I do think the more we're having the conversation and the more people are involved and more people are coming to the table from different walks of life, you know, not just the one perspective, the better off we're going to be, the better we're going to be served, the better we will serve. We have to communicate and have a conversation. And honestly, if somebody wants to buy a super fancy cream for their face, like have at it, if you can afford it, like you should do what you want to do. Um, I, I think some of the, I get, it gets fuzzy. The science gets fuzzy. People's capacity to assess um accurate statistics gets fuzzy and social media is both a gift and just an, a bonanza. It's like a, a fire hose that you're trying to sip from, right? It's like, uh. So, but I honestly, I'm 57. Like, I know that. You're like, I know that. I know that what's being fed to me on my phone is being, it's an algorithm. Like, I, I know that. And it's not because I'm a doctor. It's because I'm like a 57-year-old woman. You know, so I don't know. I, and I, I also... I feel like I know where I can turn when I don't know stuff and I can ask questions. I mean, honestly, your community is a great platform for that too, because I think that you guys amplify voices that are open-minded and educated and elevating the conversation. So that's why I look at it. It's an opportunity. I think as, you know, as you're talking about this and I love what you're saying, like we're grownups, we can discern. Um, I, I also, you mentioned the word community, early on and i'm 
sort of have this idea that like, you know, they're people that are into Nike or they're into Adidas right? <laughs> or whatever, right? It's like yeah. the brand becomes a community signifier yeah. saying like, Hey, I'm, I'm part of whatever. Yeah. And I'm sort of have this little idea that it's coming to me that perhaps some of these products that are out there um, are no better or worse than anything else. Mm -hmm. Nike's no better than a, I don't know, Nike probably would take a different point of view on that, but they're basically (laughs) sneakers, right? Right. They help you run. Right. Um, And there may be, and I think that there, I don't think there, maybe, I think there is a strong element of community identification if one is buying a menopause specific skin cream that says like, um, it sort of reminds me, remember like the, the, um, the gay rights movement in the, when it was like, uh, act up, right. Mm-hmm. We're here, we're queer, mm-hmm. get used mm-hmm. to it. And mm-hmm. I think there's sort of, there's sort of a thing similar happening. Is that, that sound right? Yes. But also don't forget it's the same generation. Mm. Oh yeah. Yeah. Were, right. Those, it is. Cause yeah. that was like me post-college. Right. right I mean, those right. are my friends. Yeah. So I'm 57. I, I think we're in the same cohort-ish. Mm-hmm. Gen X, this is very Gen X. And I do yeah. think a lot of what's going on right now is very Gen X rising. And I mean, everybody's, of course, talking about this now, too. But I think I think you're right. And I think I think there's good things about it. And it's so interesting that you brought that up specifically because I have involved myself with other voices in partnership, sponsored, in terms of events, like I'm not sponsored, you know, I'm not, I'm not, we're not there yet. <laughs> we're menopausal. This is an idea you're marketing at, right? Like perhaps you could sponsor menopausal people and they could go out and do their thing. That's, that's a, a conversation for another time. Um, but you know, a, we'll, we'll not name the brand, but it doesn't matter. A recently launched beauty brand that is aimed at menopausal women, which I really appreciate. And it's a celebrity owned mm-hmm. brand and God bless her. She's trying to get something out there. She has been working with another, with a platform to create these menopause symposia. And they've been wildly successful because of that. It's like a we're here moment. And actually we just did, I did one with them in New York, the week of my book launch in October, super powerful experience. We did one here in LA two weeks ago tomorrow. Amazing, like 250, 300 women in the room just the energy, the palpable excitement and love and curiosity and support. And it was unbelievable. And so, yes, I think there is an opportunity. And I think that they are very, very um, by design creating these opportunities for people to have a conversation and to be educated. And of course, they're associating themselves with it. And again, like everybody in that room is a sophisticated user of the market. So I think we can understand like what we're getting out of it and take, you know, like what I say to people all the time, it's like a total 12 step thing, but like, take what you like and leave the rest. It's okay. It's all right. Yeah. That's what, that's the way I look at it. I know everybody doesn't agree with me. That's, that's also okay. (laughs) I'm okay. That's part of menopause. I'm okay with you not agreeing with me. (laughs) It's wonderful. Um, So I want to get into something um, medical here that, um, I am, I tell everybody all the time, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a scientist, but I know a lot of them. Mm-hmm. So, um, this, uh, so HRT, um, and there's the women's health initiative study back when well, it was about 23 years ago, mm. which seems to have been, um, rather debunked at this point. 
Um, and so you're nodding your head. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's really, it's a, it's a very sad story. A <laughs> billion dollars wasted. I mean, not wasted completely, but just, just a debacle, honestly. A debacle. That's a, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, we don't have, we don't have to get into the granular, no, of that, but to just to it. say like, yeah. there's nothing in that data that made any sense. Um, no, it's just, it, it's, it was rough. It's rough, but it had a massive, yeah. massive impact yeah. in such a bad way. And yes, you're right. It's all getting kind of unwound. And then of course the recent New York times magazine article, which I think mm -hmm. is super important. Yeah. That so. was great. That mm -hmm. was like the best thing I've ever read on that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Me too. Um, so anyways, I, I'm cutting you off, but <laughs> it's okay. So, um, where I want to go with this is um, there's some thinking, um, I think somewhat well-established, that estrogen has a neuroprotective effect. Mm -hmm. um, women have a higher rate of Alzheimer's. Yes. They're, they are more likely to die of a heart attack. Mm -hmm. um, and there's some thinking that, um, you know, Dr. Lisa Moscone will say, um, you know, there's, it's the estrogen and the neuroprotective effect. Okay. So if we, if we think that that is true, um, and and we think of HRT, hormone replacement therapy, bioidentical hormones. But then something like one in eight women, and I, I think you're one of them, mm -hmm. has had a breast cancer diagnosis. So mm -hmm. if you have that, HRT is off the table. Now we have this problem. Yes, so we, we have a conundrum. Yep. So we, we, you know, we're going to have all kinds of con health consequences from, from the dropping estrogen or the total lack of estrogen. Yeah. Um, because my understanding is sometimes people are given drugs that whatever residual estrogen is in their system gets removed. Right. So now we've got sleep problems. We've got brain problems. We've got possible cardiac problems. How do you approach this, this, this sort of risk reward on either side of that equation? It's really, really challenging. And I will tell you as both a physician and as a breast cancer survivor, I've just thought so much about this and I, my thinking has evolved. And I think this is a very important point that we have to make. I, I feel like the people listening to your podcast probably realize this, or at least intuitively recognize, you know, science is not a religion. And I do think, I'll tell you, I object to my colleagues who make it a religion. It is not a monolith. It is not unchanging and unmoving. That is not what science is. Science is a process of inquiry, period, end of sentence. And curiosity and inquiry never ends, it evolves. And I think we're at a really important inflection point in, in the menopause space because of the we're here and we're queer kind of you know call to action and because of the evolution of science. So it's so interesting to me though. It's talk about third rail topic. I mean, hormone replacement in a breast cancer survivor is just like, you can't even go there. And there are even practitioners who incorrectly tell their patients that they can't use vaginal estrogen for genitourinary syndrome of menopause, which is not systemically absorbed and wouldn't have any impact on their disease anyways. And that's just wrong. There's a massive amount of fear-based medical practice out there. And in general, I don't like to disparage my colleagues because I think they are really doing the best they can, but I have to call that out. That is, that's just bad medicine and it's wrong. Now, here's the other thing. There's actually quite a bit of data on the potential health benefits of estrogen specifically in all of us, 
and in breast cancer survivors. So here are, I don't, I'm sure, I don't know if you know Avram Blooming and Carol Tavris who were quoted in that New York Times Magazine article. And Avram has definitely been kind of an outlier because he's been saying this for decades and he's been studying women who were treated after their breast cancer diagnoses for just the reasons you stated, because they really were non-functional. And they said, you know what, risk reward, I've got to look mm-hmm. at my quality of life. Um, and they have, so they do have decades of data on these women who have largely done well. Here's the reality. The vast majority of us who are diagnosed with breast cancer are going to be diagnosed at early stages. Um, the vast majority of us who are diagnosed with breast cancer are going to die of what, Dave? Breast cancer or heart disease? Heart disease. Heart disease. Yeah. So I have to tell you, I'm in my, not my, entering into my 10th year. And I was a premenopausal breast cancer survivor. So that's even a different situation, right? And I am really rethinking my own treatment because I have not used systemic hormones and I'm starting to think that I might do that. I'm outing myself here and now, which is a little bit dangerous because I I want people to understand that I am making that decision based on my accountability to myself as a physician and as a patient. I'm not saying anybody should do anything other than that. They should talk to their physicians. They're going to have a hard time finding a physician who will support that to be perfectly honest. And I think that that needs to change. I think we really have to change the way we're looking at the data and supporting our patients' choices. It's so complicated. The other thing I want to say is that breast cancer is not one disease. Like, and we don't want to spend the whole podcast on breast cancer, but breast cancer is not one disease. And I think people get confused because their cancer may have had receptors for some of these hormones. That doesn't mean that those hormones caused the cancer. Okay, so we could get into a much deeper dive at some point and perhaps we'll do that or I can direct you to somebody who would be willing to talk about it. But I think you're bringing up an incredibly important point. We, I think the data on osteoporosis and heart disease is settled. I don't really care what American College of OBGYN says or North American Menopause Society. And I'm members of both and I'm a big fan of NAMS. I think they're great, but they're conservative. and I think the data is very clear that for sure with osteoporosis, we all agree, osteoporosis uh, uh, is prevented by use of hormones. Okay, it's not treated by use of hormones, it's prevented. Your risk decreases. And osteoporosis is a huge health problem as we age, huge. Mortality rates skyrocket in the year after a hip fracture. This is for real. Heart disease, I think that's settled science. And it was honestly before they did the Women's Health Initiative. And one of the reasons they did it was to sort of prove it, but they screw that up and we'll leave that alone. The the dementia thing is not proven. Okay. So here's the deal. You're right. Alzheimer's specifically is two to three more, two to three times more um, uh, prevalent in women as we age than men. The loss of estrogen clearly has something to do with it. What we don't have yet is data supporting that estrogen replacement would change that risk. I think it's coming. I think you're right. Lisa Moscone and I are buds. I actually just saw her at this event. I'm going to go to New York and get a brain scan. I'm super excited um, because my brain is really important to me, just like everybody else's is. And I am kind of in a moment myself of like evolution of where I would go with this. But I can tell you, I, I, you have to be so careful because the other thing too is if I'm now going to be that, that doctor, you know, the medical board could come after me. Like, and just being real. So for people who are listening, who are having questions about this, keep asking the questions, keep pushing your di- doctors, keep pushing the science, keep pushing the policy. Every single th- change that I've seen in my lifetime in women's health 
And so I mostly am dealing with physiologic events has been pushed by the community. It has been grassroots. It has absolutely not been top-down decision-making. If you look at the birth world, which I was involved in for the vast majority of my career, and the rise of physiologic birth and support for that in hospital systems, that was a thousand percent people in the community saying, we want you to do better or we're going to go elsewhere. It was not from American College of OBGYN or the American Hospital Association. Are you kidding me? That's not how it worked. And if people think that menopause needs more attention, more research dollars, uh, better payment for your practitioners, like that's a policy thing. That's not coming from us. It's got to come from you. You got to demand it. So when people get educated and then they are in community and they feel agency and they are empowered, really things do change. I think that's going to be the next thing that we're going to see change. I don't know how long it will take, though. I I have noticed, and you can have more in-depth knowledge on this than me, but I have noticed that um, as regards to women's health, anything to regards with women's health tends to move glacially mm-hmm. in compared to like men's health. Mm-hmm. Um, Shocking. And, <laughs> I'm a guy. So, okay. That's like, great. You know, you're going to push my health stuff along. That's great. But what's up with this sort of stuff? I don't get it. Like you're half the population. You're cute, Dave. That's sweet. (laughs) Um, Because, because patriarchy. Hello. Um, Let me do you, are you aware of the fact that women were not even required to be part of clinical trials by the FDA until 1993 while I was in medical school? That is insane. That is how slow this shit moves. And it's misogyny. It's blind spot. Okay, you can say, I'm being nice today. I'm in a graceful mood today. Uh, It's a blind (laughs) spot. People don't know what they don't know. But women are not men with boobs or like what? We have different physiologic responses. We We are made differently. Our heart disease is different. So until women have a seat at the table and are in power, in a power sharing capacity, this is not going to change. But that's why I always tell people, especially women people, but people in general and people of color, anybody who's marginalized by colonization, by patriarchy, by capitalism, you you really do have to take to the streets. You have to, because they're they're not going to listen otherwise. And, And because there's this weird capitalism that's, you know, ingrained into even like the FDA and everything else, they respond. They respond to demands and threats. <laughs> I really hate to say it. They do. But if you're going to vote with your feet and go somewhere else and go have your baby down the street at the birthing center instead of bringing your dollars there, they're going to respond. So, I mean, I have nothing less than, uh, you know, uh, a, a takeover, you know, on my, in my mind. I mean, when I wrote, when I started doing menopause boot camps and wrote the book, and now I have a certification program that'll be rolling out, my goal is to, help people on a personal level with their health and with their experience of themselves as they age, but also to have community specific responses and um, empower them to visualize and then manifest changes on a societal level. If we don't reestablish our connection with wisdom cultures and with the wisdom of aging, we are toast. 
we're toast. There's we age and gain wisdom and survive for a reason. And mm-hmm. if we are unwilling to hear and accept that knowledge, I don't understand what we're doing. I took that way over there. <laughs> That's what I do. You go, girl. <laughs> I had a little bit of coffee. I didn't sleep a lot last night. Quite a combination. <laughs> uh, um, yeah. Um, so what um, what else are you seeing um, you know, in terms of medical uh, prescriptive medical inter I guess I use the word intervention mm-hmm. um, for intervention for menopause. That's not even the right word. Um, a symptom to yeah. decrease symptom. That's what I want. That's where I'm going with this. What well, are you seeing besides HRT? I mean, there's definitely, listen, that's the other thing that's kind of interesting when you talk about like, why are things going so slow? You know, there was the whole, um, that whole menopause marketing during the uh, Super Bowl. And that was because there was going to be a new medication that was supposed to get FDA approval in January, which got pushed off again. So there are some new meds that are non-hormonal that are for um, vasomotor symptoms. Um, I mean, the science is kind of interesting. There's some interesting science happening. I do think the big thing coming really is the brain health stuff mm-hmm. because that that data is so interesting and so important. And Dr. Moscone is one of the leaders in the field, but there are other people. Um, I'm totally blanking somebody in Arizona. Um, so I think the other thing that I've been hearing kind of in the background, and I don't know where how far along this is, is also looking at, we do have medications called selective estrogen receptor um, modulators. So where you can target estrogen to the tissue that you want it to be affecting, like the brain or the bone, mm. without increasing risk of breast disease or, you know, uterine cancer, things like that. We already have those things for bone health, for instance. Um, And and then we also use them for targeted for like endometriosis treatment. So so starting to really fine tune rather than just blast the system. Although the reality is menopausal hormone therapy, systemic therapy is amazing. And one of the things that I'm seeing growing, and I think it will now really open up more, there'll hopefully be less fear now that um, the New York Times wrote that article. And I think that seeps out. The thing is, we have all these effects in our bodies all over our bodies as we age because we have estrogen receptors in pretty much every tissue. And so the reality is that we really do need estrogen everywhere. So for those people who need to or want to target one or the other, I think that will probably become more available hopefully in the next decade. But I think people will also become less afraid of using menopausal hormone therapy because they understand that their brain, their joints, their blood vessels, it's not just, you know, sexual health and and vaginal dryness, which is incredibly important. It's not just hot flashes and sleep. It's what's happening at the endothelium, at the lining of your vascular tree, you know, like uh, it's metabolic changes. So that's really exciting. I mean, there's lots of pharma out there and, you know, I have this like I have a background in botanical medicine. Um, I love a lot of herbs. We're never going to have the robust bus science that we do with pharma. There's just not the, there's not the money for it, but there are things that people can do. And then in the end, the reality is the number one uh, tool for healthy aging is lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Like that's always the best exercise, movement, getting the blood flowing, staying flexible, mindset, you know, it's really not rocket science. It's really something people can do on their own. Sleep hygiene, we all know what it is. None of us do it. You know, that kind of stuff. We Rel- Like enjoying your life, 
having gratitude, stuff that's free. Meditation doesn't have to be fancy. You can just like do box breathing for two minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, anybody can do that. So I think, um, again, one of the great things as we age, if we have community, we have support, we have tools, as we start to settle more into maybe who we are and just sort of appreciate that and realize like it doesn't have to be so fancy. This is my own observation for myself and what I see around me. And it's kind of beautiful, like enjoying the sunset. (laughs) I mean, I tell people, if you... People always, you know, they, they want the blue, is it the blue pill or the red pill or what's going to do? And, I, and it's, right. I, I tell them the same thing. It's like, um, you know, exercise, nutri- nutrition, yeah. sleep, reduce your stress. You do that. That's like 95% of it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And my, my favorite, I hate the word biohack, but I'm going to use yeah. it. My yeah, favorite okay. biohack is smiling. Yeah. Just, just smile more. Um, it's going to be this epigenetic signal to your body that everything's cool and you can calm down. And how hard is that? I know. <laughs> Come on, guys. I know. I know. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go back to medicine for a second. Yeah. Um, how long can someone safely be on HRT? That's a great question. I think most of us realize now. So first of all, I, I we know that if we start our menopausal hormone therapy, within 10 years of the actual cessation of your period, which is what the definition of menopause is, um, before the age of 60, we are going to accrue these positive uh, health benefits. Um, And that's as long as you don't have or develop any real contraindication reason you cannot, like you've had a heart attack or a stroke, you have a propensity or have had blood clots. Like those are people that really can't be on those things. Um, The cancer thing we're going to leave aside because we sort of already talked about that. So if people start within 10 years of their menopause before the age of 60, they're going to get those benefits. And I'll be honest with you, most of my patients will want to stay on those hormones because they feel better. So there isn't any real science about um, how long you can or should be on it. I have patients in their 70s and 80s who are, trust me, never going to stop their hormones. They feel better. They're functioning at a higher level and their health is excellent and they don't want to stop and I would never stop them. I think one of the other things that kind of leaked out there in space was like, oh, at three to four years, you should reassess, which then turned into you should stop. That's made up. There's no settled science on how long to do it. I think you just have to be in constant conversation with your physicians who are keeping up hopefully with science and that you have to advocate for yourself too, by the way. And as long as you haven't developed anything new that would make it dangerous, I, I stay, stay on it. I still have some patients who do it really primarily for the transition and for the side, the symptoms they're having. And they really just are people who just like, don't want to be taking anything and they decide to wean off at some point. And again, this is all in conversation. The other thing that I like to remind people is that not only is this never a one size fits all, situation. It's also never a one and done. This is an evolving state of being. So like you kind of have to keep checking in. Where are you? What are your goals? What are your priorities? How's your health? How's your life? Okay. How are we going to rejigger this? You have to be willing to continue to to work with somebody. And and it also requires a partnership that's long-term with a, a trusted medical professional who actually knows what they're doing and cares about this. Because a lot of people don't have the the real interest in it and haven't studied and it's just not their wheelhouse, you know? Yeah. Even OBGYNs I found like don't fully, um, many, I can say, wait, I'm going to back that up. Some OBGYNs don't really, um, have a grasp on this. 
Um, certainly well, we don't have time in our training. I mean, here's the right. thing. If you spend four years in your specialty training and you're learning how to manage and attend birth, all kinds, easy ones, hard ones, crazy ones, tw- twins, surgically, okay? Also, all gynecologic health, all gynecologic health, okay? Again, sexually transmitted infections, birth control, fertility, surgery, uh, cancer. Okay, how are you? Menopause falls by the wayside because there's only so many hours in a day. And also, you know, our medical training is ageist. Like, you know, so it's like, oh, we'll we'll just deal with that later, you know? So, but you're right. There's all sorts of stats about how few people, how many hours people get in training and, you know, like the, that, like something like 70 to 80% of, uh, graduates of, of accredited OBGYN pro, uh, programs, residency programs come out not feeling confident to deal with menopause. I taught myself. I didn't get it in my residency. Um, I have also heard um, some people post-menopause are taking testosterone. Absolutely. Testosterone is really interesting. I think it's just like anything else testosterone can get oversold. It's like, you know, the elixir of youth for everybody. It's going to do everything, <clears throat> which is of course, that, that is, that's not a thing. Sorry, folks. <laughs> Here to debunk <laughs> that one. <laughs> Damn. Um, but the, the funny thing is that I think a lot of people don't realize that actually women's most abundant hormone in our younger years is testosterone, not estrogen. We don't have as much as men, but we actually have more testosterone than estrogen. So all of those things are declining as we age. And we know that the science really does indicate that testosterone can be helpful for libido and for sexual function. Um, so there is a role for that. I think when people are using it for energy and other things, uh, the science is not that great on it. I don't have a problem with people using it as long as they understand what we do know and what we don't know. And also I really need to say that pellets are just not okay. So pellets are these little rice-sized things that are inserted um, into this under the skin in your buttock. And usually they will be either estrogen or testosterone or both. And of course you have a, end up with a huge super physiologic dose that is uncontrolled. And I mean, I am, uh, I've been in, I was in a long-term relationship with a former bodybuilder. So I can tell you for a fact, you just, cause you feel great. Doesn't mean it's okay for you. <laughs> You're giving steroid hormones to people in high doses. They feel great. Sometimes they also feel completely crazy and there's complications and issues, but testosterone can be delivered via patches or creams or sublingual. There are ways you can do it that are safe and it can really be helpful for people. So I don't have a problem with that as long as they're being monitored appropriately. Yeah, I'm... I'm aware of some people that are taking super physiologic doses and... We all are. (laughs) They feel awesome. (laughs) <laughs> right. And they don't realize how crazy they are acting, but, yeah. but we do. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, there's so much, people should just buy your book um, and we should just Thank like stop now. Just like, just like buy the book, guys, <laughs> come on, I, you know, uh, because I, what, what what's going to happen here is we're going to, you know, we're going to go down this path of like, okay, you need to, you know, you need to lift weight. You need to exercise. You need to like recalibrate your diet. Mm-hmm. Um, and we could talk about that all day, but. Um, yeah. And I don't, I mean, look, I'm not uh, reinventing the wheel here. I'm just sort of creating another opportunity for people to, to hear the information. I, 
it's data driven, but it's also heart driven. That's the way I've always done things. Like I deeply care about people's experiences. And what happened was I couldn't get the information out there fast enough, like I said. And so like, mm-hmm. I just thought, okay, let me just put this on blast. <laughs> Let's see how that works. <laughs> and it turns out people are responding. <laughs> um. Uh, before we we leave, because I know you you have a lot to do here, um, is there anything you want to um, tell our folks out there that you think they shouldn't that they should know? I think you know I feel like people who are already coming to your site have a, maybe a different perspective, but I think one of the most satisfying things for me has been to assist in the rebrand. You know what I mean? Like menopause is awesome. Is it easy? Is it fun? No. Some of it sucks. Like, I don't want to be up all night sweating. And I'm not, you know, psyched about like not getting great sleep or I gaining weight around my belly and that kind of stuff. But when you get through it, what's there at the other side is you. And it's kind of fantastic. I want people to realize that when you have the right community around you and you have the right tools, you can do anything. This is yet another experience of our resiliency. And it's it's really, really, it's been really fun for me. I have met so many awesome people. The other thing is like this whole reinvention thing that I'm meeting so many amazing people who are present and available and interested and curious and growing. And that is so great. Like this idea that we're invisible or something is just nonsense. I mean, I'm anything but invisible. So me growing gray apparently made me way more visible. And so I, I just, I have a really excited sort of positive outlook on that. And I, like I said, I, the next thing is world domination, nothing less. And so the you, you, you personally or your tribe, no, what are we, what are we the talking tribe, about? Now? The tribe. The tribe. Here, oh, okay. Very but good. We're here we're to share. help. We're here to help. It's a helpful yep. domination. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if that's a thing, but I, seriously, for people who are interested in this work, who either are community building already or are medical professionals or medical professional adjacent doing boot camps in your community is a really great way to create that community, create opportunities to grow and to educate and to empower. And I'm super excited to see how that rolls out. Awesome. Um, And everybody, you should follow her on Instagram. What's your Instagram handle? Tell everybody. Ask Dr. Suzanne, A-S-K-D-R-S-U-Z-A-N-N-E. Wonderfully. (laughs) <laughs> wonderfully in- information dense um instagram feed um and it's i i spend very little time on social media but i watch yours oh thanks so. that means so much wow <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for joining us today it's been a real pleasure and thank you for the information that you've given to us everybody today thanks so much well that was a fantastic conversation um Dr. Suzanne Gilbert-Lenz, a huge thanks. Um, I had her on specifically to talk about this question of people who can't do HRT for one reason or another. And there are a number of very important people in my life who are in that situation. And, you know, we're going to be doing more on this because I'm, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a scientist. I leave that sort of thing to people like Dr. Suzanne. But it, it seems to me that there's more discussion, more investigation that needs to happen here about the pluses and minuses of doing some of these things. So anyway, 
Thank you to Dr. Suzanne and for your courage for coming on the show today. Very much appreciated. So now is the time for Guess What? Just Try This. And we're going to have a quick word from our third sponsor, and then we're going to do Just Try This. Today's show is also brought to you by Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker is the dashboard to your inner health. You know, we talk about this a lot about metrics, what matters, biomarkers. The thing is, you can't take actions on things that you don't know about, and what you don't know about can hurt you. I use Inside Tracker, I take their ultimate test four times a year. I look at their biomarkers, I see what's moving from quarter to quarter. So I can see if I've made changes in my program and my diet, is there something that I need to adjust? And their food first, supplement second recommendations are great. I always share the results with my doctor. And if there's something we need to go over, we do that. Get a dashboard to your inner health. Go to insidetracker.com ageist. Save 20% on all their products. So this week on Just Try This, keeping in mind the great Peter Atia and that of all people, he passed out from dehydration after an airplane flight. And just try this this week. Drink water first thing in the morning. Before you have coffee, before you have tea, before you get into your email, before you do anything, go down, try and have 16, 20 ounces of water right away. That's a lot of water. I get it. But just, just drink it. Put some electrolyte in it. It's going to help your brain function better. It's going to help this water absorb through your large intestine better. And it's going to set you up for the rest of the day. So just try this. Drink water first thing in the morning. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on the show. I just want to say we are on a roll with amazing guests. Uh, it is so much fun to do these. It is such an honor to be able to talk to people like Dr. Suzanne and ask the sort of questions that we get to ask. Um, if you would like to contact me directly um, or you have a question for Dr. Suzanne, hey, hit me up, david at superage.com. I answer all my email directly and promptly. And also, this is the time in the show when you get to, guess what? Hey, leave us up to a five-star review wherever you're listening to this program. You can leave us a comment. And boy, boy, what we'd really like, share this program with someone who you think could use it. Um, my guess is there's a lot of women out there who would like to hear this conversation that I had with Dr. Suzanne. So just send it their way. We would really appreciate it. And they probably would too. Next week, we got another great show. Everyone have a wonderful week. And we'll see you then. Bye now.